This is episode 7 of the CB Northwest and Camp Tadmore Events Podcast. We're continuing our most recent event, Winter Youth Celebration 2018. The theme was Become, Romans 6, 17-18. Here's session 2 from the Axis team. And here, on the... Okay, okay. It's getting later at night, but hopefully you will all be able to stay awake. Wow, that's really dark. Um, you can't see me. Uh, so, not gonna lie, I'm hoping to keep the energy throughout this presentation because I've been up since 4 o'clock Colorado time this morning. So, hopefully, I'll be able to stay awake. If I'm not, just say boo. If I'm not keeping you awake, just say boo, and then I'll uh, bring up the energy level. So, this presentation, um, which maybe? Yes, okay. Um, this presentation is called We Are What We Love. And we're gonna be talking all about the things that we love, whether the things that we love are of God, if they are of the world, and how those loves are going um, to determine what our lives look like. Um, we're also gonna be sharing some personal stories throughout this presentation of what our lives look like because of things that we have loved, um, whether they were of God um, or not of him. And so we're really going to be focusing on what it looks like. If we're not loving the things of God, then how can we change that? And how can we make our lives better by loving scripture and by pouring our hearts into scripture and not things of this world? Um, so... Hopefully, it's going to So start let's working. begin with a quick conversation. Yes, Jason's really I want you guys to turn to your neighbor and describe one thing that you cannot live mm. without. Turn to your neighbor, talk to your neighbor, ask them, tell them one thing. Oxygen and water is not an answer. And don't say don't food be that or Jesus guy. either. All right, go. All right, so shout out some things. What are things you can't live without? Cats? Your friends, okay. What else? Puppies? I disagree. Sleep? Yes, music? Hot pockets, interesting. What else? Creative outlet. Coffee, yes. Tea? Beyonce? Interesting, very interesting. Yes, shh, shh. What'd you say? Ooh, can't live without emotions. Other people, tools, like people who are tools or like tools like screwdrivers. <laughs> Power tools, okay, yes. What? And we're live. Soccer, okay. All right, so another question for you guys. What's your favorite TV show? Take, talk to the people around you, and I'll come over and ask you in a minute.
raise your hands because that way I can, yes, what show? The Office, okay, yes. Criminal Minds, okay, yes. Flash. We'll come back to you. What? Full House, I like it, yes. What? Stranger Things, yes. I have never heard of that before. Interesting, yes. Doctor Who. Doctor Who. Yes. 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 Yeah. The Green Arrow. Yes. What? Parks and Rec. I've heard that's good, but eh. Yes. The Andy Griffith Show. Yes. 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 My Piano? Yeah. <laughs> Lost. Okay. Yes. What? Yes. Over the garden wall. Okay. Last one. The 70s show. Okay. So my favorite TV shows are Gilmore Girls, Friends, and Grey's Anatomy. I'm currently on season 14 of Grey's Anatomy and I can't believe I've made it this far. Okay, so we're gonna do a very drastic transition here uh, because we're talking about things that we love and we wanna know, is it ever hard to follow God? Take a minute, talk to the people next to you. By show of hands, how many of you guys think it's ever hard to follow God? Okay, everybody's hand should go up. Um, why is it hard to follow God? Anybody? Yes. Distractions? Okay, yes. What's that? The mm, society today is completely opposite of God. Yes. Our sin nature. Okay, one more. Yes. We put ourselves before others. That's good. It can be really hard to follow God, right? Especially if we go through difficult things in life and things come up and we're like, why is this happening to me? Why do I have to go through this? Why do I have to experience this? Why do people around me have to experience this, right? But I think the biggest thing for us as to why it's hard to follow God is because as one of you said, and I don't remember who it was, but distractions around us. Things in the world, things of the world distract us from who God is. The things that we love distract us from God. The things that are not of God distract us from him. Because at the end of the day, we are what we love. And again, that's what this presentation is called. We are what we love. When we love something so much, we start to become it. And when we start to become what we love, it leads us to do sometimes good things and sometimes really bad things. There's probably a few of you in this room who have done a crazy or stupid thing or two for love, right? Whether it was the love of a person or whatever it was, they lead us to sometimes do things that we weren't intended to do in the first place. And so I want to ask you guys actually a question and keep it in the back of your mind. What was your first word, actually? What was your very first word? Just think about it in your back of your Some of you guys don't know. Some of you guys, your parents didn't tell you because they don't love you. Um, other of you, I'm just kidding. Please don't say that to your parents. For me, though, I had two. Mine was ball and pops. Because growing up, playing outside, playing ball was one of my favorite things. One of the things I loved most. The other thing was my granddad. I called him pops. But these two things, my first words, actually were an example of what I loved the most. Now, how many of you guys could think maybe what Jesus' first word may have been? Anybody want to take a guess? All the way in the back. 
God, okay, anybody? Mom? Well, we think it may have been Shema. Everybody say that word with me, Shema. All right, and the reason we think that is the Shema was a prayer that they prayed twice in the morning, once in the afternoon as a family every day, all right? And the Shema was required reading for every, anybody that could read was required to learn to learn the Shema. And actually, we're going to read this together, all right? So I need somebody that's really smart. I've already talked to somebody over here that's really smart. Would you like to come up here and read it for everybody? Anybody, anybody want to volunteer to read? Anybody that you think should read? I got you. I saw your hand first. Come on up, buddy. Everybody give him a round of applause. Now, I'm going to give you this mic. It's going to be a little bit difficult, okay? But whatever comes up on that screen, I just want you to read it. So we're going to step over here really quick, all right? How good are you? How long have you been reading, by the way? He's been reading his entire life, taught himself to read. That's pretty epic, okay? So you're an expert reader. I've been reading for like three months, so I'm going to get you to read this. Go. Shema Yisrael, Andonai Eloheinu. Abonai Ekad Veahvata E Edonai Elohecha Betol Levakcha Uvkol Naf Shivka Uvkol Medoka. Dude, right on. That was awesome. Give me a round of applause. Yeah, go ahead and sit down. That was awesome. Bro, I'm impressed. Like, you kids keep getting smarter and smarter. It scares me. All right, so it sounds, so, yeah, very close to that. Is Ron here, by the way? He maybe could correct me. Maybe he's good. it's a good thing that he's not here. Good. It says something like, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Elohenu, Adonai Echad. Ve'ehepta et Adonai Eloheka, ve'kol levka, uv'kol nafshka, uv'kol meodeka. All right, you know what that means, right? Perfect. Moving on. Okay, actually, it says something like this in the English translation. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, how many of you guys have heard that before? Perfect. Why do you think that sounds familiar? Well, because Jesus said it. Where did he say it? Mark 12, one of the Pharisees comes up to Jesus, and they're trying to trap him. And they say, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment in Scripture? And Jesus says, you, the most important commandment is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord our God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and all your strength. Sounds familiar. But what's different about this than the one that we read before? Anybody notice something different? Jesus. What was that? It's in English. Right on, that guy, that's Sherlock over here. Anybody else? In the back. Mind and strength. Why did Jesus add that? Very good. Why did Jesus add mind and strength? Because he's speaking to a group of people known as the Sadducees. The Sadducees mixed their Greek philosophy with their Jewish roots. And because of that, they added another category to mind. And what Jesus was trying to say was he says, I don't care if you are Jew or Greek. You are all bound to follow this law. All right? And it's not just some law that's going to keep you in trap, but this law leads to life. How do you obtain life? By loving the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and strength. That is what you were created for. You were created for life. Here is how you obtain that life. And notice that he, doesn't, that he says you shall love the Lord your God. He doesn't say that you should think about, even though what we think about God is one of the most important things about us. He doesn't even say that you should believe in God, even though that is how we are saved. He says that the greatest commandment, the thing that will bring you life, is that you shall love the Lord your God. But we have to remember that we live in a very good but cursed world. And so this love that was originally there is oftentimes a little bit harder for us to obtain because of the curse entering into the world. And our love of God has often been kind of skewed into this idea of getting an A on a Bible test. How many Christian school kids do we have here? Raise your hand. A, I did not go to a Christian school, but my brother did. And what was really interesting is he, he took these Bible tests where he got all of these answers. And I think that oftentimes we can view our relationship of God that way, where we can know all of these facts, have all of this knowledge about God, and think that we're doing it right. But God doesn't necessarily want that. He wants our hearts. He wants our hearts to be in it. And I grew up kind of in this environment where I thought that the more that I knew about God, the more that he loved me. And so I kind of grew up thinking like, okay, I don't know all of these things. I don't have the entire Bible memorized. I don't know Hebrew. Like, does God actually love me? And yes, he does love me, but my story was kind of hijacked of a different vision of, this, of what God's love looks like. And so we want to know, like, has, has our story been hijacked? 
So we got on a plane today, and we headed to Portland, and that was our plan, and we were very excited. So we get on the plane, and we sit down, and our flight attendant, this is true, this actually happened today, she goes, all right, so we are headed to Cabo San Lucas, everybody, get excited. We were like, okay, that sounds kind of nice, but like people are expecting us in Portland. We need to end up going there, but her vision was for Cabo. She ended up just testing to see if we were paying attention. We were, and I'm kind of sad I'm not in Cabo, but this is great too. So we had all intentions of going one direction. We were set on going here, but if the plane ends up in a different direction, if the direction of our lives end up pointing in a different way than where we're ending up going, then that won't align. Our story will be hijacked. And a lot of people here in this world kind of recognize their influence and power. And as we talked in the previous session, we talked about the voices of different TV shows and movies. And one of those voices is Millie Bobby Brown from Stranger Things. I love her. She's so great. Um, and she recognizes that she has power. She has the ability to shape the ideas of people. And she talks a little bit about how she wants to use that. I'm fortunate to be here tonight to receive an award as an actor. I'm so very grateful and I appreciate the love and support of my fans and the opportunity that our show, Stranger Things, has created for me. Yeah. But more than anything, I, have, I get to be up here and I have, I'm privileged to have a voice that can be heard, one that I can use to hopefully make a positive difference and help influence change. She has a voice that has the power to influence change. You know, that's, that's a buzzword in our culture today, change. What we want is change, something different, you know. It's either I promise change or I'm going to make America great again. Either way, we're focusing on changing the world around us. But what uh, Stephen King says is it's not that the laws that create change, it's the power of good popular art. He says that movies are the highest popular art of our time, and art has the ability to change lives. Now, this is, I think this is very true, and it's nothing new. Damon of Athens, from almost 2,000 years ago, he said that, I do not care who writes the nation's laws. Let me write its music. That was where the power truly lied. He wanted to be able to have the power to change a culture. And that's what we want to do, too. And we recognize this. We, we know this is true. And again, the Psalms are some of the first examples of this. We see that in the Psalms, that each one of these Psalms actually represent a story. There was something particularly uh, peculiar about each one of these Psalms, a story behind one of these songs. They were part of the nation's identity. And so as they sung these, just like they sung the Shema, they actually would incorporate a new identity. And they began to change. They began to live into that identity. And we ourselves are really no different. Whether we realize it or not, what we take in actually influences what we put out. It is from the heart that, uh, that sin proceeds. This is what we want to talk about. So each one of us are actually going to present a little bit of a different story. We're going to talk about how some form of media actually influenced our story and ultimately put us to where we are today. For me, that story, I already mentioned to you guys that Pops, my granddad, was one of the things that I loved the most. Right? He was the one that was my father figure. He was the one that I'd run to I'd, after school. He was the one that taught me to throw a baseball. And it was great. I loved growing up with him. He was my neighbor. All right? But then one day he just woke up and had no memory of us. No memory at all. No memory of me and my dad, no memory of my sister and I, of running around and catching crayfish in the pond or playing tag or the time that I threw a baseball through my grandmother's window and he didn't tell her. Like, none of those things that were just completely gone. And a part of me felt like I died with those memories. And for two and a half years, I watched as a brain tumor kind of consumed my granddad's life. And to this day, I remember standing in the hospital bed with him as he drew his last breath. And those are some of the memories that, honestly, late at night still haunt me because that was something that I loved the most. But during that time, we had prayed a lot. My mother was uh, ordained with one of the churches. She had prayed for his healing. My granddad himself was a man of God. He used to pray every day. He had prayed for his own healing. My grandmother prayed, and we were all confident that God would heal him, but he didn't. And I remember as he died, thinking that, well, I guess my faith is dead now too. Because the fact is that I thought, well, maybe if Jesus didn't heal him, then either Jesus doesn't actually love us, or maybe I prayed to the wrong God. I mean, after all, how do I know that Jesus existed in the, in the beginning with? How do I know that Jesus is God? How do I know that the Bible is true? How do I know that God is good? And I began to ask these questions, and in my private school, that's something you really just don't do. You're not really allowed to ask good questions. And I began to ask these questions and challenge my professors and my teachers openly. And they would kind of pat me on my head and say, you just need to pray a little bit more, go read your Bible, and you'll figure things out. And I said, no, 
I'm not going to figure things out. I need somebody to answer my questions because these questions are actually directing my life. They're holding me back. I want to know what is truth. And so I turned away from my Christian roots, but I began to turn to other things. Good stories like the Lord of the Rings. Good stories like Fast and Furious. Good stories like Harry Potter, for example, was another one that I really fell in love with. I began to watch these shows and I began to take in what they were saying. And I remember watching the Harry Potter films and I remember seeing like this is something that I want to be true. A friendship that lasts. Magic in the world where it's not really the spells that's the magic, it's the will of each one and how they use it. Where good always triumphs over evil, where love wins the day, where parents have a sac sacrificial love for their kids. And I began to look at these themes, and I remember thinking, if there was any story that could be true, I'd want it to be something like that. And then, spoiler alert, at the end of the series, written across Harry's parents' graves, is the words, and the last enemy to be defeated will be death. And I remember thinking, what is that from? And I Googled it, and to my shock, it was from the Bible. Huh. And so I began to look into this. Obviously, J.K. Rowling was not a Christian. She was not intending to write a Christian book. But all of a sudden, it began to make sense to me. The story is about a sacrificial love that empowers their son to conquer evil. But we have to kill a snake that even though it bit the heel of someone, they would cut off its head and ultimately give the side of good the power to overcome evil once and for all. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Then a resurrected chosen one would come back and lead us to victory. That was the story of Christianity. And I realized to myself, if there was a story that must be true, I'd want it then to be something like Christianity. I wasn't so sure about Jesus, but I began to ask myself this question. Could it possibly be true? I'd always followed my parents' religion. Whatever my professors told me, I did it to be part of the in crowd. But at this point, I made a new decision. Would I be a Christian if it wasn't true? And so I began to investigate the stories of Christianity. You know, most of these stories begin with once upon a time or in a galaxy far, far away. But the Jesus story, it started with, and this is the historical record of Christ, the Messiah. If I thought that that first line was true, then everything else that followed must also be true. And if that is true, then that has a huge implication for my life. That means that there really is a love that wins. That means that good really will conquer evil in the end. That means that every evil and awful thing that has ever happened will in fact be undone. And so I begin to use what I could of my psychology training as a psychology major to investigate the faith. And to find out, is Jesus divine? Was the Bible reliable? And time after time after time again, I'd go to real historians, real scientists, real philosophers, and they would tell me, yes, that we have actual proof of these things. And that statement shook me. Because if that also meant it was true, then that must mean that Jesus was who he said he was. And I realized I'd only had three options. Jesus was either man, myth, or Messiah. He couldn't be merely a man because Jesus was not merely man. The kind of, ma kind of things that Jesus said and did is not something that a mere man says. But he wasn't a myth either because we have real historical proof that he actually existed. The one thing that we know about Jesus with absolute certainty was that he died on a cross. Tell that to my Muslim friends. They won't believe you. And so I realized that every other worldview in the world has to deny that Jesus Christ did actually die on the cross. Fact number two, that he was, the tomb was empty. Fact number three, that the, that the disciples claimed to have actual visions of Jesus after he died. And I said, how do I wrestle with these facts? How do I come up with an explanation? And the uncomfortable truth that Jesus really was who he said he was, I kind of put on the back burner for a while because the truth is that I was actually mad at God. Why didn't he come through for me? You know, if the story that he told is true, why wasn't it true for me? After all, I prayed, right? And isn't Jesus supposed to answer all of our prayers? Doesn't he love us? Doesn't he care about us? And in the back of my head, I just had this resounding no. So I went down to Ecuador. I was playing soccer with some kids down there, and I had this nasty scar on my elbow, and I went to high-five this kid. When I did, the bandage came off, and he saw my scar. And in his broken Spanish, he tried to ask me about it, or his, his Spanish, my broken English, he tried to ask me about it, and in my broken Spanish, I could not communicate with him. 
But ultimately, we ended up coming to this conclusion. I pointed out to my scar, and he held up his hand, and he said, no, no, no. And he pulled back his hair, and his left eyebrow had an equally long and hideous scar himself. And he said in his own language that his dad was a drunk, that his dad gave him that scar. And then he pointed to mine, and I realized that he thought that I also had my scar from the same way, that we were connecting because of these scars. And then, incredibly, he holds up his hand again. And people in Ecuador, they always hold hands, whether they're crossing the street, it doesn't matter if you're just friends, they hold hands. But if you're family, they don't just lock hands, they lock fingers together. And he held up his hand, and I put my hand with his, and he says, no, again, and he locks fingers with mine. And then, once again, in his own language, he says, now I have a brother. And in that moment, I gained somebody that was going to be my friend. And the rest of my time in Ecuador, he would come up to me. Hey, Jason, mis hermano, my brother, will you come and play soccer with us? Will you come and take me to school? Will you eat dinner with us? Will you tell me about Jesus? And I realized I could not because I didn't actually believe in him. Even though I traveled some thousands of miles to go tell people about him. And that moment was when I realized that that is exactly what Jesus did for us. They didn't just stay distant from our pain, but that he stepped into it, and that he became our brother. Guys, the gospel story is not some story about going to heaven when we die. If that's what you believe, I challenge you to talk to your youth pastors. The gospel story is about heaven coming down in the person of Christ and giving us all new life and spreading that eternal life through us so that we can have it now. He said that he did not come so that we could have the kingdom life forever. He said that you, the kingdom life, is already among you. It is in you. It is around you. The kingdom life is here and now. And if you have yet to experience that, I challenge you, come up and talk to me. I'll answer your questions. I'll talk to you. I'll pray with you. And I will walk with you. Because in John 14, Jesus says this. He says that if you do not believe, but if you pray, I will, my Father himself will reveal himself to me. If you obey my commandments, I will come to you and I will make my dwelling with you. I took him up on that challenge and he came through for me that time. And guys, in the last six years of my Christianity, I have gone further, done more, seen more, and been more content than I ever have in my whole life. Jesus has a way of making you uncomfortable, but also giving you far more content than you ever dared believe possible. The gospel says that you are far more flawed than you ever dared believe, but more loved than you ever dared hope. And that gospel was something that I held on to. And so I challenge you guys, when you're reading, when you're listening to songs, ask yourself these questions. What is true? What is confused? And what does this have to do with Jesus? Because for many of you, you have yet to be introduced to him, perhaps for the first time. For many of you, you may find him in the strangest places, just like I did with Harry Potter. All right. Thank you, Jason, for sharing that. Can you guys give him a round of applause? That was awesome. All right. So I would like to share my story um, and I love telling this story because it's just, it's amazing to look back on your life and see how God has worked through you even when you've turned away from him. Uh, so when I was, let me backtrack here, I was raised in a very conservative, very Christian, very homeschooled home. Um, I was homeschooled from kindergarten to 12th grade, so I am a true homeschooler. Uh, so if you want to make homeschool jokes, I don't care, because I'll make them right back. Um, so I, my parents were very strict as to what music I could listen to, what movies I could watch, who I could hang out with. Um, and so it was, it was just a very strict house. Um, there were a lot of boundaries in my world. And so growing up, the only music I could listen to was Christian music, obviously. Um, but it was only certain Christian music. So things like Toby Mac and Switchfoot were too out there. Um, they were too worldly. Uh, Toby Mac was too rap. Um, so when I first started listening to him, my mom was horrified. Um, and so I was only allowed to listen to this music and then a couple country artists because my mom loves country and she couldn't avoid listening to Keith Urban. Um, and so I grew up on Michael W. Smith and Stephen Curtis Chapman and 10th Avenue North and Keith Urban. Um, but not Switchfoot, because that's too worldly. Um, 
And so I was just raised in this atmosphere of a lot of boundaries. Um, and so I had to take what I had and use it to my advantage. And so my best friend and I, when I was, I'd say, 13, 14 years old, um, we were boy crazy. And when I say boy crazy, I mean boy crazy. Like, all we talked about was boys, all we thought about was boys. Um, it was literally just every topic of conversation was the next guy that we liked. Um, and I didn't have my first crush until I was 14. Um, that's how homeschooled I was. But um, so we just were obsessed with this idea of being in a relationship. And, you know, sometimes when you have this idea of being in a relationship, you want to um, listen to things or watch things that make you think of that idea of the relationship. But when you grow up in a really conservative Christian home um, and all you can listen to is Christian music, you have to use what you are given. So I would take some of the songs by 10th Avenue North um, and Francesca Battistelli and Britt Nicole, and I would take those songs that were originally intended to be worship songs, and I would turn them into love songs. So I'd sit, my best friend and I would sit there and listen to these songs and think about the boy that we liked at that time. And that was like their song. Um, so we had all these different songs that were intended to worship God. And we were using them to worship the idea of a relationship. And we couldn't even date at the time, but we were so in love with this idea of a relationship that we wanted to do whatever it took to create that idea in our minds that maybe one day it would become true. And so we were actually taking something away from God that was supposed to be beautiful and worship him and love on him and say, no, I'm actually going to take this away from you and use it for someone else because I think that's more important right now. And I want to show you an example of one of these songs. Um, Anybody here ever heard of Mike's Chair? Yes? Okay. Not very many people have. Um, they were kind of a Christian boy band for a couple years. They came out with like two albums. I don't think they really exist anymore. But I loved Mike's Chair. And there was one song called Hallelujah that I loved to listen to. And I want you guys to listen to it. And imagine me at 14 years old listening to this song and thinking of Alex Ferguson and Caleb Kazmaier. That was a love song for me. Uh, that wasn't a love song to Jesus, even though that's what it was intended to be. That was a love song that I used to think of an idea of a relationship. And I, it's interesting. Um, I can't actually listen to this song anymore without chuckling um, because I just think of my 14-year-old self and think, wow, how silly were you? Um, but it's interesting. So it says, uh, hallelujah, you set my heart on fire. Aw, how sweet. Um, and oh, how it burns for you. Um, and I was saying, yeah, my heart burns for Caleb Kazmaier or Alex. It doesn't, doesn't burn for Jesus. But what's interesting is that it says you have saved my life. And the mentality was 
that if I was in this relationship, if I had this relationship, if I could date the guy that I liked at that time, then it would save my life. But this is actually talking about how Jesus died on the cross for my sins and saved my life. He actually saved my life. Um, but I thought a relationship would save my life. I thought it would complete the entirety of my existence. It would make the, me the happiest I could ever be. And I would be completely content and completely satisfied and completely fulfilled if I had this relationship. Little did I realize that there was a person who was already going to make me content, already going to make me fulfilled and satisfied, never disappoint me, make me the happiest I've ever been, and I had access to him my entire life. I didn't have to wait till I was 18 to be in a relationship with him. I could be in a relationship with him from day one. But I was in love with the idea of love. And as I got older, I still had this mindset of, this is what's going to make me happy. This is what's going to make me content and satisfied. And here I am today. I'm 22 years old, and I've never been in a relationship, never even been on a date. And I've had to learn, with the help of Jesus, that that is okay. It's okay. I'm honestly really okay with it, and I'm not just saying that. Because I have realized that I am already the happiest I've ever been. Because I get to travel around and talk about Jesus, the love of my life. And I get to tell people like you that a relationship with another human being is not going to make you the happiest you've ever been. It's probably going to make you the most miserable you've ever been. It's going to be the thing that lets you down the most and breaks your heart and disappoints you and doesn't leave you satisfied and doesn't leave you fulfilled. But Jesus will. Jesus will leave you the happiest you've ever been. So if you're single, if you're dating, if you're in a relationship, wherever you are in your relationship status, I want you to take a, a step back and say, okay, if I'm single, why do I want to be in a relationship? Is it because God created me for companionship and God created Adam and Eve to be together and unified and glorify God through their unity? Or is it because I think it's what's going to save my life? Or if you're dating someone, why are you dating that person? Is it so you can say, oh, I have a boyfriend or I have a girlfriend and it's some sort of status that you have that I'm in a relationship, so I'm cool now. I'm part of a club. Is it because you think, if I don't have this person in my life anymore, my life is going to be over? Well, I want to encourage you, if that's the reason you're in a relationship, you might want to rethink that. Because that's not the mindset that God intended for relationships. God intended for relationships to be two people unified as one glorifying God with everything that they do. But their relationship with God is more important than their relationship. I have this list that someone encouraged me to write of all the things I want in my perfect man, right, in my ideal guy. And one of them is that he must love Jesus more than he will ever love me. Because if his relationship with God, if my relationship with God isn't the most important thing in that relationship, then we shouldn't be together. And I want to encourage you, again, that a relationship is not going to satisfy you. Yes, it will make you happy. And yes, it's a beautiful thing to be in relationships. And yes, it's something you des should desire. Companionship is a beautiful thing. But you can have companionship without being in a relationship. You can have companionship with the people around you. All of us are gathered here right now in companionship. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. This is relationship. And we have relationship with Jesus. Jesus wants to be 
the love of your life. He wants to be your soulmate. And he wants you to want him to be the love of your life and him to be your soulmate because that is the absolute most important thing. So now I'm going to share a little bit about my life um, and the ways that different media has kind of shaped me to see my vision of myself and my worth. So um, I went to school at a very strict charter school um, that was really, really performance-based. Um, and I kind of mentioned a little bit earlier how like I wasn't all up on the knowledge stuff. It just wasn't my thing. Um, and I made sure that everyone knew that it wasn't my thing. And so I grew up seeing that in order for me to have value, I had to be really good at school, that my value was attached with my grades. It was attached with how good I was at sports. Um, it was attached with my social life. And kind of all of those things were kind of tied up in my vision of myself in my high school experience. And unfortunately, in my high school experience, I didn't have any of that. I wasn't good at school. I did sports for a totally different school than the one that I went to because my school didn't have my sport. And I really didn't have a lot of friends at my school. And so I went through these four years thinking, all right, I guess that's me. I'm just average. There's not much going for me. This is the life that I have. I didn't want to go to college. I didn't want to do really much past just get through high school and then be done. And then I was really lucky because my mom forced me to go to college. They were, my parents were like, no, you're, you're going because what else are you going to do? Because for me, that's really what I needed in my life was that extra push to go to college. And then I went to college and I started studying something that I love. I started meeting people that were amazing. I started working an incredible job. And so all of these things that I thought gave me value that I didn't have, I suddenly had. And it was really, really nice. It was nice to finally be that person walking through school and being like, hey, I know you guys, this is so fun. It was awesome to get a paper back and get an A and say, like, I did this and look over and see someone maybe got a C. And I'm like, well, I got an A. That's never happened before. And so all these things that I thought that I wasn't good at, suddenly I was. And that really fed me. And so my life kind of turned a little bit crazy, and I started doing so much. Um, and my life ended up looking a lot like Leslie Nope's life. If it will let me, my goodness. You have to take a leave of absence from the department. Ron, that is ridiculous. We've talked about this. No, you've talked about it, and I've ignored it because it is ridiculous. Need I remind you that even if I win the election, I can still work at the Parks Department. City Council is a part-time job. But campaigning is a full-time job. Right now, you're working 50 hours a week here and 50 hours a week on the campaign. Well, I have time to spare. I'm also volunteering at Wheels for Meals on Wheels. We repair vans for Meals on Wheels. You're a month behind on everything. You forgot to file the weekly parks maintenance report. You do it every week and you forgot. Things are falling through the cracks. I'm pretty sure you've worn that sweater four days in a row. Or I own four identical versions of the same sweater. No, you don't. There's an old lollipop that's been stuck to the back since Tuesday. <laughs> that's the style now, Ron. It's called lollipopping. All the kids are doing it. Leslie, you need to take a sabbatical. Okay, you know what, Ron? I accept your apology. I will not take a sabbatical as we agreed and we will never discuss this again. Ah, uh, Leslie. So I saw that and I was like, yep, that's gonna be my life because she was living a really awesome, successful life. So my senior year of college, I was taking 15 credit hours, which is about five classes, a full load. I was working 25 hours. I was volunteering at my church's youth group. Um, I was giving campus tours. I was involved in a Bible study. My family lived in the same town of my college, and so I had to make sure that I was seeing my family. I was making friends at college, so I had to make sure that I saw those friends since I was living in my hometown. I also had to keep up with those friendships. And so many other things kept happening. I just kept getting piled on and on and on and on. And people that I really cared about were like, Kristen, you, you need to be fully invested in the things that you're doing. You can't be dropping things here or there. Like, yeah, there was a homework assignment that I forgot, but I was able to kind of talk my way into letting my professor give me a pass so that I could write the paper really quick that night and still get a good grade. 
And so I let some things fall. I let, I sometimes would forget to meet up with people, but I was doing a really good job at keeping up with this really successful life, finally feeling like everything that I was doing was good. And then, one lovely Tuesday night, um, I had been at school and work for 10 hours that day, and I had a college game night um, for my small group, and I was like, I'm so tired, I shouldn't go to this, but I'm gonna go. So I went to this game night, it was so fun, I had a great time, until I took a tumble and fell down five stairs. Not a lot, five. But I fell, couldn't stand up, something was wrong, I didn't know what was wrong, and so I limped to my car, I drove myself home, which was a bad idea because it was my right leg, and you can't really drive very well when your right leg doesn't bend. Um, and I didn't ask for help because I didn't want to ask for help because I could do everything on my own. I was totally fine being independent, being able to do all of these things. And so then I drove myself home and I knew that something was wrong. I didn't know what was wrong, but I knew that like I can't keep going on with my knee feeling this way. So I went to the doctor, I got x-rays, nothing was broken, that was great. They were scheduling an MRI, couldn't get my MRI for two weeks, and so I had a two-week period where they told me I couldn't put any weight on my leg, and I would just kind of have to wait to see what was wrong, because they had absolutely no idea. So for two weeks, I went from this really, really busy life of literally running around my college campus, giving campus tours and going from class to class to class, to needing rides everywhere I went. I couldn't do my job anymore because it was walking around campus, and I had to be completely dependent on the people around me. And so I'd have friends that were going out and hiking and doing all the stuff that I love, and I just had to be home, not really doing much because I couldn't. And so instantly, all this stuff that I had built up for myself, this stuff that I thought gave me value and gave me worth, was no longer there. I couldn't do it anymore. And so in an instant, I went, okay, now do I have any worth? Because I can't do the stuff that I'm good at anymore. And that really rocked me because I, I didn't realize that I had such a dependency on my value. I thought, yeah, Christ is my identity. That is who I am. That is great. Because, you know, everyone tells you that, like, God should be your identity. That's great. And I thought that that was the case for me. Until I had those things that gave me value taken away, I realized that's not where my identity's at. If I had everything completely stripped, like, I was absolutely broken, and God came in and he was like, hey, <laughs> this kind of sucks for you right now, but like maybe you need to realize that you're depending way too much on the stuff that you can do and less on what I can do in your life. And it's so easy to hear like, you need to have your identity rooted in Christ. It's easy to be like, yeah, cool. But what does that actually look like? Because I think it's different for all of us. Because we're all different people. God created us all differently. And for that reason, he gives us a different relationship with him. And so that's something that I want you guys to think of. If, like, the things that you're good at, the things that you love, the people that are in your life, if that was completely stripped, would you still be yourself? Because for me, I wasn't. I had friends that were like, hey, what is wrong with you? You are way off. You don't seem happy. You aren't telling your jokes anymore. Like, you're just a completely different person. And I realized that that was because my identity was placed in something so temporary. That something that, like, a fall down a flight of stairs could just easily take away from me. But guys, once you find that place in God, once you find who he is with you and who you are with him, so many amazing things can happen because you're not just stuck in this place. Your ability, your things, the things that you can do keep you here. But God, he wants to take you outside of that. He wants to take you to something that's so much bigger. And the only way that you can live into that is if you live into the world that he has for you. So I always forget to tell this at the end. I got my MRI. I tore my PCL. It's not an easy thing to do, but somehow I did it. I don't know. Um, but as I was kind of working on my physical therapy and doing all of that, I was also kind of working like my, my physical therapy for Jesus. That sounds super cheesy. I need to figure out a better way to say that. But with doing all these exercises and stuff, I also started to spend more time in the word. I started to spend more time by myself because when I fell, I realized I haven't spent time by myself to actually figure out who I am and what I want in a long time. So what we talked about earlier with that solitude, that was something that I really started to practice. And through that, I was able to see who God had created me to be and really the stuff that I was placing higher than God. Because if you think about it, the stuff that I was doing, it wasn't bad. 
I wasn't like living a crazy life or doing anything that blatantly looks like sin, but I was putting these things ahead of God. And Tim Keller has a really interesting way of putting this. He says that sin isn't only doing bad things, it's more fundamentally making good things into ultimate things. Sin is building your life and meaning on anything, even a very good thing, more than on God. Whatever we build our life on will drive us and enslave us. Sin is primarily idolatry. So if you would have asked me in the moment, like, are you sinning? I'd be like, well, I mean, probably, because I'm human. But I probably couldn't have told you, like, this is the bad thing that I'm doing. This is the wrong thing. But I was putting my success, I was putting getting good grades and having strong relationships and even, like, mentoring students. I put that above my relationship with God, and that left me totally broken. And sometimes it's really easy to see the faith that we have and see, like, okay, great, but there's all these rules, there's all these restrictions. I want to have freedom in this. And so we want to kind of next look at this idea of freedom and what that freedom looks like. And so I want you guys to sit and think, like, okay, what would it look like for us to have absolute freedom? Would that be a good thing? Would that be a bad thing? Because I don't know if it necessarily would be the best thing for us. Um, G.K. Chesterton really speaks to this in a very interesting way. Um, So we all know that there are some boundaries that are set with us living the Christian life. And he says that the more I considered Christianity, the more I had found that while it had established a rule and order, the chief aim of that order was to give room for good things to run wild. So we have these boundaries. We have this life that God has created for us so that good things can go crazy, so that we can have this awesome, like, Christ-centered party with all this good stuff. And I think a really good example of this was they once went to some scientists, I don't know, they went to a kindergarten, and they had all the kids at recess, and the first day of recess, they um, set up fence around the playground. And so the kids knew where they could go and where they couldn't go. And they played all around the playground. They went out to the fields, all of that, up until the the fence. And then the next day, they took down the fence. So they had this huge open space. They didn't know where the boundaries were. They could go everywhere. And the kids, they stayed towards the wall. They didn't know how far they could go. They didn't know what was best for them. And so they just stayed inside instead of playing in this awesome area. So God gives us these rules for us to be able to go, to be able to live out this life instead of having to stay by those walls because we now know. We know what he wants for us. He knows what's good for us. And so we asked that question at the beginning, is it ever hard to follow God? And yes, it is so hard sometimes to follow God. But I think the reason for that is because we have replaced our love for God in simply just a belief in God. So we've taken love out and we just believe that God is who he says he is. But do we actually love him? Are our hearts actually invested in that? Because that belief of God will only get us so far. But that love for God will carry us through and through and through. All right. Um, Everybody, hold up your workbooks, Uh, your access workbooks not the retreat ones. Okay, so we're going to take a quick brain break because we just gave you a lot of information and uh, go to the We Are What We Love section of your workbooks and follow along with this video and it shows you how to do something really cool. Maybe. Well, it folds over and there's a lot of words there. I'm not sure what they say, but uh, oh, there we go. there we go. It folds over. How cool. All right. Back to uh, why we're here. Uh, So this really smart guy, Robert Weber, and he's really smart because he has a PhD, um, did a lot of school, and he says that the most pressing spiritual question of our time is this. Who gets to narrate the world? And that's a really good question, actually. Who's narrating your world? Is it your parents? Is it your school? Is it your friends, your community? Is it culture? Is it scripture? Is it yourself? Who is narrating your world? And I think that's a really important question to answer and to ask yourself. And hopefully the answer is that Jesus is narrating your world and scripture is narrating your world. 
Speaking of scripture narrating, let's take a look back at the biblical narrative that we've kind of been going through. So in Act 1, everything was very good. God created the heavens and the earth. Act 2, everything was cursed. And now we have Act 3, which is the promise. And this is the promise that God makes to Abraham in Genesis. Um, and he says, he promises to him that through your offspring, all of the nations of the world will be blessed. And if you read through Genesis, you find that the offspring of Abraham was actually the nation of Israel. And if you know the nation of Israel's story, you know that they were traveling to the promised land and it wasn't supposed to take them very long, but it took them 40 years to get to the promised land, to get to this place that God had promised for them. And the reason why it took so long was because they kept breaking their promise with God. Over and over again, they broke this promise. They failed time and time again. But fortunately for them, their failures were not recorded by their friends and posted on YouTube. Hi, this is Chuck Storm. I'm live at the scene where last night there was a robbery at about 3.30 in the morning. Now, police have... Oh, oh. Hey, how much you pay for that taco? Hey, yo, you know this. Boy, he's got his free taco. <laughs> Oh, hello, it's up. Nice to meet you. Frisbee, peace. Edgar. Fish love? <laughs> Sorry. Jenny? Wish list. <laughs> also, if you have a telescope, uh, Uranus is visible too. Um, just near the, <laughs> did I say that? Near your, near the horizon. I'm gonna stick with, uh, weather. mess up right like we all make mistakes and in the story of the act three that's the promise this is where God is trying to take his peace down taking his people out of Israel or out of Egypt and he's now trying to take the Egypt out of his people and that is the continuation how he sent prophets and judges to continually remind them hey guys there is a greater life than this don't settle for something less than this don't settle for these lesser loves reach out for what is greater because in act three he made this promise he looks down at us in the middle of our mess and he says, I, you guys were never intended to handle all this on your own, so I'm going to make you this promise. I'm going to walk with you until we find a solution together. And in Act 4, we see that solution fulfilled. Whereas in Act 2, all have sinned. Everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. But in Act 4, we are now justified freely by God's grace. This is the fulfillment of our hopes. This is the love that we have been waiting for and has finally come true in us. And so we are now looking forward to this hope. This hope that is the gospel, as Timothy Keller talks about, he says that you are far more uh, sinful than you ever dared believe, but far more accepted and loved than you ever dared hope. He says to be fully known, it would be one of the most terrifying things imaginable. To put your whole life story on one of these screens would terrify you. But to be loved and unknown would be completely meaningless. There's no substance to it. But to be fully loved and fully known. That is what it means to be loved by God. That is a love that humbles us out of our self-righteousness and exalts us out of our self-pity and frees us to fortify us against everything that life can throw at us. That is the kind of love that we need, the freedom that we have found in the gospel, the only hope for our humanity. And yet we struggle with something almost like Stockholm Syndrome. You guys know it well. It was a girl that was kidnapped or several girls that were kidnapped. And when the police found them, they were to arrest the man, and they threw him on the ground. The girls intervened. They said, no, 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 don't hurt him. He didn't mean to hurt us. He didn't mean to kidnap us. He didn't mean to harm us. They had fallen in love with their captors. The very thing that had hurt them, they began to love. And yet we are in that same situation where we begin to love the very things that are actually keeping us from the full life that God had intended for us. I mean, we see all over our media, like songs like Sober, for example, 
on both sides that was bad for him why do people do things that be bad for him say we done with these things then we ask for him when the sun comes down and we transform yeah you could probably bet this by this time tomorrow i'll probably regret this try but it all falls down like petrus no telling where that 80 proof gets us yeah songs like this but I think it's important to pay attention because this is capturing something that's really true like he wouldn't have created this song if he didn't actually have some kind of experience that backed this song up there's an experience behind these things that we say yes I am like that why do I do bad things for me or the song uh, by AGR weak you know I'm weak and I fall for that but man I love it why do we do these things is it true that 80 proof is the only reason that I am with you is it that I'm out of my mind? Is it that we are settling for far lesser things? Because guys, when we consider the amazing, the absolutely mind-blowing promises that Jesus offers us in the Gospels, everything else by comparison looks weak. It is as if not our desires are too strong, but that our desires are too weak. And those desires are something that in this, in this world, it doesn't necessarily make sense in a moment of like, why is this what I'm doing? Why is this good? But I think C.S. Lewis has a really interesting way of putting this in his essay, Weight of Glory. So in it, he says that we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. So what he says here is like, we're kind of chilling right here playing in the mud. We're building sandcastles, maybe, maybe like mud plops, I don't really know. And that's what we like and that's what we enjoy. But a few feet over there is Disneyland and we could be there, but instead we're just looking right here at what's temporary and in the moment because you know what, we'd have to get up and walk to Disneyland. We'd have to work a little bit harder to get there. And so we're just going to kind of stay in this mud pie, in this slum. But there's infinite joy that's offered to us. A holiday at the sea, if we just put in a little bit more time, if we put in a little bit more effort, if we work a little bit to get there, guys, we will have that holiday at the sea. And it might sound like like that we'll instantly get it, that we'll get there, that'll happen, and we'll be like, yes, life is so good. I've accepted Jesus. My life is perfect. Everything's great, and that's not how it is. Your life will not instantly change, but long term, it will be far more fulfilling than these other things, and we're going to talk a little bit more about what that might look like tomorrow, about how we can do that for ourselves, but I want to ask you guys this question. Like, are you just chilling in the mud ply? Are you just playing over there when you could be at Disneyland? Because Christ offers us Disneyland. He offers us so, something so much greater. So how do we change the things that we love? If we're being held captive by this thing that enslaves us, how do we change that? Well, we want to just kind of equip you guys with a couple of different ways that we can kind of work on this. And it's not something that you can instantly do. There's not something that's a recipe, but we hope that these are different ways that you can kind of work your way to changing those things that you love. First, sounds so cheesy, but guys, God can do amazing things if we let him. I think it's really easy to think that if we pray, that it's like God, like us talking to God and us just being like, God, listen to this, 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 and this. And if you've ever had a friendship with someone and you've gotten together with them and they just talk about themselves and then leave and like that's your entire friendship, like that's not, that's not a friendship, that's not a relationship. And so why would we assume that that's how our relationship with God should work? where we just sit there and talk to him and then say, bye, cool, thanks for fixing my problems. That's not how a relationship works, and that's not how our relationship with God should work. So pray, pray for a renewed mind and really lean into God to show himself to you. The next thing that we can do is work on changing our stories and our habits. So in Alone Together, we talked a little bit 
about our habits and how those habits kind of shape our vision. So what can we do to work on changing that? Is there something in our lives, and maybe it's just even recognizing that thing in our life that enslaves us. First, just recognizing it, maybe talking to someone that you love about that thing that enslaves you guys. You're here in a room with incredible adults that would love to just walk alongside of you in this. So maybe tell them that thing, that thing that enslaves you. And then next, Christ calls us to a life of flourishing. He calls us to something that is so much greater than this world that we could just have on our own. And so what would it look like to fully embrace flourishing? How can we live into this world that God has created us and truly embrace really what he wants from us? So I'm sure you guys have heard this before. Show me your friends and I'll show you your, you, your future. The people that you surround yourself with really shape who you end up becoming and shape where you end up going. And we would like to say that this is true, but we would also like to say, show me your loves, and I'll show you your future. What you love is going to lead you in one direction, and is that the direction that you want to go, or are you wanting to go in a completely different direction? Because ultimately, we are what we love. So I'm going to wrap up. The band is going to come up here. But before that happens, I would just like to pray over us before we go into a time of worship. God... You are so good to us, and it's so easy to see the temporary things of this world and think that that is greater than what you have for us, God, but you've called us, you've called us to live a life that is greater than that, and God, you are so much greater. It's easy for us to get into this tiny space where we can only see what's around us and miss the bigger picture, but God, you see that bigger picture, and so I pray that tonight that we would be able to trust that that bigger picture is far better than anything that you could ever have, or that we could ever have for ourselves, God. God, I pray for the students here tonight that, that they would think about the things that they love, um, that we as a community of Christ followers would look at the things that we love and determine if that is taking us down the path that we want it to, or if there's a better place for us to go, God, because you call us to something that is so much greater. God, you are doing something so, so good here, and I just pray that as we go into this time of worship that you would be present here. God, we love you so much, and thank you for everything that you've done for us. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Let's stand together.